Oh, well, welcome back. My goodness. Uh, it looks different, but it looks good out there. And so glad you're here. And uh, those of you who upgraded to first class accommodations with plenty of leg room, we're, we're glad you're here. Uh, you know, these, are, these have been some strange days, haven't they? Uh, between uh, COVID and uh, just uh, the images we've seen on our, our screens and uh, uh, just uh, the violence and the, the hatred. And it's just, it's almost been overwhelming uh, just to try to take all that in and, and process that as a, as a follower of Jesus Christ, but as a human being. And so I wanted us to just take a few moments before we, uh, we jump into the, the teaching time and just, and just pray. Uh, and I'll invite you even just to be still before the Lord for a moment. And uh, we, we desperately need to cry out uh, uh, to our God and ask him to do a work in our heart uh, and ask him to do a, a work in our, in our nation and certainly in our world. And so would you just join me and let's just spend a few moments before God in prayer. Mm, Father, thank you for this chance to gather whether we gather online or on campus, we are grateful that you allow us to gather. Father, thank you for even just the sound of being able to mingle our voices in praise before you today. For regardless of what is going on in the world, regardless of what's going on in any of our lives personally, you are worthy of praise. And you are at work, even in the midst of the madness, and Father, I, I just continue to cry out as I've just felt that burden on my heart and head for now weeks and weeks. Father, help us, help me not to miss you, not to miss what you're doing and what you're trying to say to us in this time. And Father, we just cry out because we, we are in great need. Uh, Father, the the... COVID crisis was more than enough, the, the job losses, the, uh, the, the tearing apart of uh, families, the isolation, and Father, on top of that is images that we're seeing of, of violence of one image bearer of God upon another image bearer of God, and it's just, it's breaking our hearts, Father. And Lord, it, it seems so strange because it's almost a climate that you're afraid to say anything because whatever you say, somebody's going to take offense at and somebody's going to be offended. And, and Father, we can't go. We can't move forward like that. And so, Father, we just ask you, in a world of hatred, in a world of violence, in a world of sickness, would you help us to be those who are on the front lines of healing? those who show and share the love of Jesus Christ. Father, would you show us what it means to be the body of Christ in a time and a day when none of us have ever gone this way before. And Father, we, we do cry out. We cry out uh, for uh, those that have been hurt and wounded, uh, those who have been uh, just decimated by the events of recent days. Father, would you comfort 
Father, we pray for those who are on the the front lines every single day, and perhaps we have even a renewed appreciation for them. Father, we pray for those who are on the front lines in our our, our medical communities and in uh, all sorts of uh, fields of business and endeavor from from manufacturing to uh, the, the stores that we all depend on to the restaurants. Father, we cry out and we're grateful for uh, the, the police force that we have in this community. And Father, we pray for their protection. We pray, Father, uh, Lord, for officers all across uh, this uh, country. And Father, unfortunately, uh, one, one incident on video sometimes colors our perception of, of everybody that wears a uniform, and that's just not true. Father, would you protect them? Would you encourage them? Would you strengthen them during this time? And Father, would you show us how to reach across the aisle, step across the room, step across barriers, socioeconomic, racial, political, whatever those may be. Lord, would you help us as your people to be a part of the solution and not part of the problem. Father, we ask this humbly before you now. In Christ Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for taking those few moments uh, to join together in that prayer. I do want to jump back into our, our series uh, on facing our fears and talk about our, uh, particularly our fear of rejection. You know, when we experience relational hurts, whether that's somebody's actions or words or, uh, or a lack of encouragement, sometimes we use phrases that are quite descriptive. Sometimes we'll say things like, she broke my heart or he hurt my feelings, or it felt like I got punched or I got kicked in the gut, right? Well, those expressions got one researcher to thinking it might be more than a coincidence. Matthew Lieberman thought that maybe there was a real connection as to why we used that language when it came to relational hurts. And so he began to do some research, and I, I can't begin to explain to you all the details of it and wouldn't try to bore you with them anyway, uh, but one fascinating part of the research involved brain scans. And they were doing these brain scans of people, and here's the interesting part of the study. What they, what they saw on those brain scans is that our brains processed social rejection much the same way as we process physical pain. In the words of the researcher, a broken leg and a broken heart from the brain can feel almost exactly the same way. Here's Lieberman's words in his book, Social. Looking at the brain scans side by side without knowing which one was an analysis of physical pain and which one was an analysis of social pain, just looking at the brain scans, you could not tell the difference. In other words, when human beings experience threats or dangers to their social bonds, the brain responds in much the same way as it responds to physical pain. It's a pain that probably most of us have experienced somewhere in our life. It's a pain that Jesus himself was quite acquainted with. In Isaiah, we have this, this picture of the one who is to come, and it, it ended up being perfectly fulfilled in Jesus Christ. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and is one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised, and we esteemed 
him not. We esteemed him not. He knew Certainly physical pain, particularly in those last hours in Gethsemane and the beatings and the cross, but he also knew the pain of rejection, the pain of not being accepted, not being valued, not being loved by those that he came to love. Now, I want to make a a distinction kind of on the front end, and it's a little nuanced, but I think it's important. A fear of failure focuses on what I do. It's about my performance, and we talked earlier in this series about facing my fear of failure. Failure is about my performance, what I do, whereas a fear of rejection focuses more on who I am. It focuses on me as a person. Now, I realize that for many of us, our self-identity gets so tied up in what we do in our performance that sometimes those are, those are difficult to distinguish. But they are different. Fear of failure is about performance. Fear of rejection is about me as a person, who I am, that you are not only are evaluating my performance, but you are rejecting me. It is a fear that if we're not careful, can drive our life. Proverbs 29, 25 gives us a warning. The fear of man lays a snare. Some translations say lays a trap or entraps. Lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. This fear of rejection can trap us. It can entrap us in a lot of different ways. And I'll just suggest a few to you this morning. The first is it causes us to conform. It can cause us to conform our lifestyle and values. I'm so afraid that you will reject me that I'm willing to compromise. I'm willing to conform to whatever I think will gain me acceptance, even if that means compromising my lifestyle or my values. Sometimes it can keep us from speaking the truth in love, right? And so that if I'm afraid that you're going to reject me, if I bring up a hard subject, if I say something, even if that something is for your good, for your benefit, for your growth, even if it's, it's like me stepping in to try to keep you from bringing destruction in your life or in the lives of others, if we're afraid of being rejected, we'll hesitate. We'll pull back. We will not speak the truth in love. And it continues to affect our relationships. Oftentimes, a fear of rejection prevents us from giving and receiving genuine love. Uh, that that I, I, I kind of just traffic on the surface because I'm afraid if I let you see the real me, if I, if I open myself up fully to you, you'll reject me. You won't accept me. And so we relate to one another with this superficial kind of love. It's been said it's better to be hated for what you are than to be loved for what you are not. But sometimes we're so afraid of being rejected that we are willing to not be ourselves rather than feel rejection. It prevents us from giving and receiving genuine love. And we respond to that in different ways. Sometimes we respond uh, with loneliness and isolation. I become so afraid that I'm going to be rejected that I begin to pull back. I begin to pull back from relationships. If I have them, they're on the most surface of levels at best. And so I isolate. I pull back into this loneliness because I have chosen the pain of loneliness 
over the pain of rejection. And so I pull back. Now others go the opposite way. This fear of rejection can create in us an insecurity and unhappiness that we continually seek to please others, right? Any other recovering people pleasers in the room, right? Yeah, all of us probably at some levels, right? Because we, we want to be accepted, we want to be loved, we want to be in, right? And, and sometimes we'll go to just all these extraordinary links that we'll just, we'll just knock ourselves out to please people because we're afraid if I don't please you, you will reject me. And that begins to drive my life and my behavior. For a follower of Jesus Christ, sometimes it silences our witness, our sharing about Christ. I can't tell you the number of times through the years I've talked to somebody and, and they have a burden for a friend, they have a burden for a loved one, and they haven't shared Christ because they'll say something like this, and maybe you've said it or thought it, probably most of us have. I'm afraid if I share Christ, it'll hurt our friendship. It'll hurt our friendship. And we hesitate, we're silenced by that fear of rejection. And then just as a follower of Christ, it will keep us from spiritual maturity because we'll focus so much on others and we don't focus enough on God. And if our, our eyes are continually focused on others and gaining their acceptance, we will not grow into the person that God has designed and, de and desires us to be. Well, that's kind of the bad news, how this fear can entrap us, as the proverb says. What's the good news? How can I overcome this fear? I want to suggest to you five things from God's word. The first is to recognize the fact that people will sometimes reject me. I don't care how good you are. I don't care how much you try to please, right? There are going to be people, all of us are going to experience rejection. It is part of the human experience in a sin-scarred world. But on top of that, for followers of Jesus Christ, inherent in the call to follow Christ is to recognize you will experience rejection. I mean, Jesus just laid it out there, didn't he? A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? If they accuse Jesus of being satanic, of being of the devil... How much more inherent in following Christ is to experience rejection. Through the prophet Isaiah, God was speaking to the nation of Israel and he was talking to them about fears. And one of those fears that he mentioned in verse seven of chapter 51 was a fear not the reproach of man. And then he comes along and says, I, I am he who comforts you. Who are you? That you are afraid of man who dies and of the son of man who is made like grass. You see, we're all gonna be affected by rejection. That's why my guess is, right now, almost every one of us in the room can remember a rejection. It may have been last week, 
It may have been years ago, but those rejections register and they hurt. We're going to be affected by it, but we must not be directed by it. It hurts. Let's own it. Let's admit it. We don't like to experience, but we are going to experience. But let my life not be directed by that fear of rejection. And this isn't in your notes. I wish I had been smart enough to put it in when I was doing the outline. But let me just give this to you because I think it's a good phrase to remember. Very often, rejection tells us more about the rejector than the rejected. Let me say that again. Very often, rejection tells us more about the rejector than the rejected. When Jesus was rejected, it did not diminish one little bit who he was. It did not devalue who he was. It did not change the fact that he was Emmanuel, God with us. When the people rejected Jesus, it wasn't about Jesus. It didn't tell us anything more about Jesus. It didn't change who Jesus was. It told us more about the rejector than it did Jesus who was rejected. Recognize the fact that people are sometimes going to reject me. And because of that, I need to draw strength from supportive relationships. I need the strength of supportive relationships. A few weeks ago, I talked to you a little bit about safe people and that we need some of those safe people in our lives. We need some of those supportive relationships in our lives, some people who, are, who know us and love us and who are for us on our good days and on our bad days. We need those relationships. That's why the body of Christ is so essential. That's why being isolated feels so painful because we need those relationships. You know, sometimes when you read the New Testament, you, you look at somebody like Paul and you begin to think, this, this is like Superman, right? I mean, he's so bold and he's so courageous and he's, he's just like him and God, that's all you need. It's enough to take on the whole world. But then you read his letters and you realize that he depended fully upon God. But God's strength so often came to him through people. One example, 2 Corinthians 7. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us. Now what, how did he do it? By the coming of Titus. Go through Paul's letters and notice the number of times he mentions somebody coming, somebody ministering to him. That God uses people as his delivery system in our lives for that strength and for that support, for that capacity to live in a world where we'll be rejected. And so I just ask you, again, are, 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 do you have some of those safe people in your life? Are you a safe person in the life of another person? Can they draw strength from their relationship with you? Thirdly, we need to have our focus, to focus on pleasing God, to focus on pleasing God. Paul put it this way, for am I seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. 
That, that Paul, yes, he drew on supportive relationships. Yes, he was sensitive to his context. He talked one way to Jewish audience, one way to a Gentile audience. But at the bottom line of that, he learned what you and I have to learn, and that is to live for an audience of one. To, to say whose pleasure is going to matter the most in my life. And it has to be God. It has to be God. Jesus said, do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. See, we tend to focus on the wrong fear, don't we? We tend to focus on, on our fear that somebody will reject me or they won't accept me or they won't like me or whatever it might be. Where God says to operate well, to operate to be fully who I created you to be, you need to have a, a reverential awe, a holy fear of this holy God. And when, when that awe, when that reverential fear drives and directs your life, then you have the capacity to, to do and live in a way that is pleasing to God. Someone said, courage in the end has to do with the direction of our fear. If we fear God more than we do people, we'll be courageous. But if I fear people more than God, I will continually struggle. I'll continually compromise. I'll continually fall short of God's best for my life. It takes courage to live intentionally for God in a world of rejection. Two other things. Four, realize how God looks at you. Realize how God looks at you. And it's different from the way that we tend to evaluate one another, right? We tend to evaluate one another on our, on our looks, our athletic ability, our intelligence, or they have this great gift, or, or they have all these resources, or, or whatever it might be. But as, as Samuel was being directed in the Old Testament to anoint the one who would be the next king of Israel, he was sent to the, the household of Jesse, and he saw these sons, and some of them looked so impressive and God spoke to Samuel, do not, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees, but the man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. You see, God has a different way of looking at us than people do. We tend to evaluate people by so many external things. But God looks at the heart. And you know, as I, as I thought about this focus of how God looks at us in the context of everything that's going on in our country right now, racially and all the questions we're asking, I just remembered part of that dream that Martin Luther King Jr. had. You remember those stirring words? I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. 
they will not be judged on their outward appearance. But God looks at the heart, who we are at our core, the character of our life. I hope if you've been around here for a while, you've heard me say this phrase because I, I think it is just so foundational. The truest thing about you is what God says about you. The absolute truest thing about you is what God says about you. And there's so much, and there's so many resources out there. I would just encourage you. Some of us, it would just do us well. I know I've got this in a little uh, note in my, my file, and I go back to it regularly just to remind myself, uh, what is it that God says about me? Let me just give you a starting point. You might just want to write in the margin somewhere, Ephesians 1, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 8. And in, in there, just there, there's these quick descriptors. I'll just give them to you real quick. In, in, in the opening of that letter, Paul says, just remember, remember, in love, because Jesus Christ has moved in your life, you are blessed, you are chosen, you are adopted, you are favored, you are redeemed, you are forgiven. All of those things are true about you if you are in Jesus Christ because the truest thing about you is what God says about you. Listen, you, you, you wanna have the, the strength, the capacity to live not directed by a fear of rejection? Then realize how God looks at you. And closely associated with that is to rely. To rely on God's unconditional love for you. John, that beloved disciple, wrote so much about, about uh, God's love for us as he experienced it through Jesus Christ. In the, the letter we call 1 John, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, not that our performance was acceptable or, or we had all of these things that suggested ourselves to God. No, 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 no. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. He intervened. Not because we earned it or deserved it. Quite the opposite. Justice demanded the exact opposite of what he offers. But Jesus Christ came in love to live the life we should have lived, to die the death we deserve to die. He was buried, he was resurrected, he's coming again. And he did all of that to cover my sin. He did all of that to say, I love you. You matter to me. Come into my family. I want you to be adopted. I want you to be a child of mine. And when you understand that, when you respond to that act of grace through repentance and through faith, it begins to cast out fear, as John would go on to write, there is no fear in love, but perfect love, the perfect love of God towards you and I, it casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. 
foundational to everything else is to rely on God's unconditional love for you. But this is what I know. It's one thing to know about God's unconditional love. It's an entirely different thing to fully embrace it. I know plenty plenty of people that they got the right answer for Bible study. They can tell you in their head about God's love. But they haven't fully embraced it. They have not fully allowed that love to cast out fear, to give them a security and an acceptance in Jesus Christ. It's a story that Lee Strobel told that seems so relevant even for the days that we're living through. He talked about shortly after the Korean War, there was a Korean woman who had had an affair with an American soldier, and she became pregnant. He left Korea, went back to the United States. She never saw or heard from him again. But she gave birth to a little girl. The problem was this little girl looked different than the other Korean children. In that culture, a girl with light-colored curly hair was ostracized. Children of mixed race weren't welcome in that community. In fact is, many women in a similar situation killed their children rather than for them personally and for their child to face that type of rejection. She made the decision to have her child. And as best she could, she tried to raise this little girl for seven years. She tried everything that she could until the rejection rejection of her, the rejection she was seeing her little girl endure became too much. And then she did something in her pain that's probably unthinkable to most of us in this room, but, but she, she abandoned her little girl to the street, seven years old. And for two years, this little girl lived on the street, ruthlessly taunted by the people who called her in the Korean language, alien devil. And if you've been called that all your life, you start to draw conclusions about yourself based on the way that people treat you. For two years, she lived on the streets until almost miraculously, some way she made her way to an orphanage. And as they started to try to take care of her in that orphanage, one day an American couple was coming and they they wanted to adopt a little boy And everybody in the orphanage was excited because at least one of their number, one of their group was actually going to have a family. And so this little girl spent the the day cleaning up the little boys, giving them baths and combing their hair and wondering which one, which one was gonna be adopted by this American couple. The couple shows up the next day and as the girl recalled, she said, it was like Goliath had come back to life. I saw this huge man with these huge hands and he lifted up each and every baby and he, he, he looked in their face and he, she said, I watched him and I began to see tears run down his eyes and I, I recognized that, that if he could, he would have taken the whole lot of them. 
Then he saw me out of the corner of his eye. She said, now let me tell you, I was nine years old, but I didn't even weigh 30 pounds. I was a scrawny thing. I had worms in my body. I had lice in my hair. I had boils all over me. I was full of scars. I was not a pretty sight. But the man came over to me And he began rattling away something in English and I I didn't understand, but I I looked up at him and I I saw and he took that huge hands and he, he laid them on my face. And only later did I come to understand what he was saying. He was saying, I want this child. This child is for me. That's the unconditional love of God. That he looked at us, not impressed a moment by our resume, but he looked at us with all of our scars and all of the the things that, that make us ugly in our sin, all those things that make us undesirable and unacceptable in the eyes of others, and perhaps even in our own eyes. And he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to a cross so that he could put his hands around your face and say, this child, this child is for me. It's one thing to know about God's unconditional love, but it's another thing to fully embrace it. Embrace the unconditional love of God for you through Christ Jesus. Let's pray to him together, please. Oh, Father, thank you. Thank you in a world full of rejection that we find acceptance, we find hope, we find meaning, we find love, we find life in you, in Jesus Christ. And Father, I I just pray for everyone that'll hear this message in, in whatever environment, whether it's on campus or whether it's online. Father, today, would you quicken your word? Lord, would you take your word and, and Lord, remind us of how we are accepted in Jesus Christ. Father, I pray today that there would be someone who would not just know it in their head, but you would allow them to begin to embrace it in their heart. Father, would you just bring us back time and time again in a world full of rejection to our full acceptance in Jesus Christ. For it's in his name that we do gratefully, humbly, joyously pray. Amen.